0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, you are with Lyle and...
1: Angela. Angela,
0: how are you this morning?
1: I am very good. I love the rain, number one. But number two, did you know that it's still my birthday?
0: (laughs) Okay, so this is the advantage that dual citizens get. Okay so it's still your birthday. It
1: is because in America so all, all those is. who have
0: not yet wished Angela <laughs> a happy birthday still have time to redeem themselves. Yeah,
1: so my co- my phone was very quiet yesterday, right? Like very few people wished me happy birthday. My parents figured it out my younger brother figured it out but other than that I was very quiet well this morning i had like a hundred messages from my beloved friends and family because now for them it's july 13th so now they're like oh it's angela's birthday so this is my american birthday that i'm celebrating today you <laughs> <message. That's>
0: impressive. <laughs> Well, when does your birthday finish then? What time? It must finish what, like uh, maybe. Well, usually people like that?
1: start. Yeah, like um, in America, by two o'clock, I'm pretty much done being able to talk to anybody on the West Coast. Okay. So by like noon, it's pretty much done on the East Coast.
0: So by five o'clock this afternoon, we can say, yeah, your birthday's done.
1: Well, that's a little harsh. I mean, who knows how people are going <laughs> to feel. <laughs> and I just want to do a big shout out to my roommate because last night when I got home, um, she had done a whole little treasure hunt for me. 16 clues all around the house. And at the end, um, she had me text this mysterious number and, say, to say completed. It turned out it was her number. And um, yeah, she had a video for me of all the people who wanted to say that they loved me.
0: And for all of those who missed out being on the video, <laughs> and who still want to say that they love Angela, <laughs> there is um, another, another few hours left to go oh, oh, to, to redeem mm. themselves, maybe, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right. What's happening in uh, positive, positive news today?
1: All right. Do you think you can put a price tag on nature? No. You want to expound?
0: It's invaluable. All right. Without nature, we don't exist. We are a part of nature.
1: So what? um, this is a study done in London, and it's being talked about around the United Nations, and it's saying that it's time that we back up this effort to protect nature. So we're going to start paying to protect nature. Um, So they're saying about... um, for every $1 you spend protecting nature, there's a $5 return. That's what they're estimating. Really? Yeah. I'm not quite sure how they did the math, but basically they're saying for every $1 that you put towards nature conservation, there's a $5 return.
0: I'd love to see the, the way they actually come at that conclusion because a lot of we money that we spend on nature, I don't see any return... Any financial return is just good for the environment.
1: Well, the thing, I don't know exactly how they're figuring it out, but they're saying um, that if we're not careful, scientists estimate that at least a million species are facing extinction in the next few decades, largely due to human-driven activities, including habitat loss, pollution, and climate change.
0: And Australia is the worst country in the world as far as uh, extinctions go.
1: Yeah, but isn't that Firstly, also because of like the beginning of how Australia started, not necessarily because of human impact now? Well,
0: here's the challenge you've got with Australia. Australia a lot of the extinctions that have taken place in other countries it happened uh, long before extinctions were ever um, tracked and noticed. Uh, Australia has a country that has it is a country that has been recently enough Colonized so that the extinctions have been able to be recorded. Mm -hmm. And so, if you go to a lot of countries in the world, um, you know, a lot of the extinctions happened, you know, two, three, four thousand years ago were not recorded for us today. And so, we don't have a record of those extinctions. Whereas here in Australia, a lot of extinctions have taken place in the last couple of hundred years as a result of human impact Mm -hmm. and, particularly, you know, predation by. Um, you know cats and foxes and so forth Um, most of our extinctions have been the result of you know feral introduced species and that has been the greatest human impact on australia has been the uh, feral species that humans have introduced to australia so yeah in australia is an interesting case study because it is a place where uh there had been very few extinctions possibly before it was colonized and uh, yeah being colonized within you know Pretty much the last 200 years, we've been able to actually track what species have uh, been wiped out and what are on the verge of being wiped out.
1: Yeah, it's definitely important to invest and think about our um, footprint for sure. So as released as the United Nations Lobby's government, they have set aside 30% of their land and sea by 2030,
0: 30%. That's a big chunk.
1: That is a big chunk. That's a huge amount of area. And so the question though is because if it's like this whole if you're basing I'm gonna save nature based on this economic output, that's a very dangerous place to be, because lobbyists are gonna go back and forth like, oh, that's not really giving us that much money, or this is, or this piece of land isn't. And also think about this. What are two ducks worth, for example? Would the ducks in the US be the same value as in Latin America? And how would you compare these things? What would be their role? Like how do you start measuring, oh Yes, we have five thousand ducks in this city, so we need to do this with this pond. And we have three thousand frogs in this pond. Like, where did you even begin?
0: Yeah, and what's the economic impact of having five thousand ducks in the city? Um, obviously, they're going <laughs> a to be clean <laughs> you, you know, doing a lot of well, they're going to be doing a lot of cleanup themselves. They're probably doing more clean up than what the than the you know poop that they're pooping out. I really don't know, but I would say that having more nature in your city is going to be economically beneficial for your city in many ways. But, yeah, I'm just not sure. I I don't know how they've calculated this. I mean, if you look at here in Australia and we look at extinction of species in Australia, the most effective um, thing that we have in Australia for protecting Australian wildlife is fences. Yeah. So, you know, you put up a fence and you fence off, say, 14,000 acres Uh, which they're trying to do right now in the Barrington Tops, which I think is an amazing idea, they fence off, say, 14,000 acres and then wipe out all of the feral species within that fenced area because that's achievable and create what's called an arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, But how does that actually uh, then create uh, $5 for every $1 spent um, increase in our economy? And it's not the kind of place where you're going to go for tourism because... Uh, these are places that are designed to have minimal impact on the native wildlife. So you can't exactly set it up as a tourist center.
1: True. Very true. Sorry, I don't know. It's interesting. <clears throat> I, I find this fascinating. Well, I think you have to think, you know, what does nature give us? Let's just go back to the basics. Well, air. That's kind of a necessity. Um, food. And, um, like, is that it? Is that all that we consider those nature reserves to give us? And if that's all, then we're probably in trouble. Like if that's the only thing we could think about is like what we get out of it, like physically, yeah, then that might be a rough place to be in.
0: Here's an interesting thought then. Think of the cost of mental health issues in the world right now. And uh, you, know, I, 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 you, you recently did the <laughs> uh, depression recovery program. And as a part of that, they go through the cost of depression. It's a massive financial cost. Um, it's a massive burden on the Australian economy and nature is one of the most effective ways of healing you know, mental health and depression, these kind of things, is getting people outside in nature.
1: Yes. They have even, like I saw this one story where in Barcelona, they're taking their patients to um, the ocean to help them heal. Yeah. In Barcelona. And so in other places too, they're starting to take them out into nature because they realize that there are healing powers available to them outside.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So important. <clears throat> really interesting research. Be interesting to see where all of this goes. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we all know that uh, Angela's been helping us out here for a little while on Faith FM radio, and that Angela is a school teacher. Well, it so happens that one of her students is here in Australia. <laughs> And so, uh, we're going to have a chat with uh, one of Angela's ex-students <laughs> here today. Cameron, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, now, Cameron, we're hoping that you can tell us all kinds of um, stories on Angela oh, no. this morning. But <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Most importantly, we want to hear your story, um, your journey of faith. Let's start with where you come from. Whereabouts are you originally from, Cameron?
2: I'm from the island of Bermuda. It's a small island in the Atlantic Ocean just off the coast of the states.
0: okay now i've heard a few bits and pieces about bermuda and from what i've heard about bermuda th- is that this is a bit of a tropical paradise would that be an accurate
2: description oh very accurate
0: ah there you yes. go a patriotic bermudan right there um so what was it ha- how big is this island
2: oh we're not very big at all we're about 44 40 something kilometers long and at the widest point about seven kilometers, oh
0: wow, so yeah. what's it like growing up on an island so small? Uh, does it when, when you come to bigger countries you know continental countries like Australia or the United States, does it kind of feel um, you know huge and does it kind of feel strange to drive long distances you know that kind of thing after you've grown up on a small island?
2: Um, they definitely do feel huge, but it's it's a bit exhilarating actually. Because just always being in a small place and for a person like me, I'm always keen for an adventure, always ready to go out and explore the world. And um, you just feel like it's a lot more opportunity as well.
0: That's fantastic. How old were you when you left Bermuda?
2: When I left to go to school in the States, I was 15.
0: 15. And you arrive in the States and you end up with Angela as your teacher, is that right? (laughs)
2: <laughs> about a year after I got to the school I was at, yes sir.
0: Okay. Now, um, Cameron, we we want to hear about your journey of faith and how you came to give your life to Jesus Christ. Could you tell us a little bit about that story?
2: Okay. Well, I was born and raised in an Adventist household um, with parents who tried their best and definitely strive to this day to, to show the faith in everything that they do, show their Christian journey as well. Um. And as a lot of people may know, when you grow up at Adventist, sometimes you kind of become desensitized to the message of Adventism. Um, and I could say that for a while, that was me. Uh, I just grew up hearing the same stories, hearing about the Bible, uh, seeing things, hearing that Jesus is going to come back soon. And eventually, I came to make my early teens, and I just started to not really want to have anything to do with adventism or christianity um and like i said when i was 15 i did go to a school in tennessee called heritage academy a boarding school Adventist school as well where i met miss angela and i would say that my interest in spiritual things in adventism started to to blossom a little bit more from that because i started to see it more as not just my parents faith but I was surrounded by people, young people as well, who genuinely cared about God, who genuinely wanted to get to know him more, who genuinely wanted to have their own relationship. And from there, just watching them and being around them kind of piqued my interest. And I had my ups and downs um, for sure. But what really helped me is that my parents always strive to make sure that I was involved in a lot of things. And one of the things that they ensured that I did was a lot of mission trips. Um, And which I do, I really enjoyed those mission trips. And I would definitely say that they brought me closer to God. Um, It's only until recently that I just really decided to take to take God as my own, to hold to Him as my own, and not rely on my parents' faith or my friends' faith, but really step out on a limb and um, come to Him on my own as myself. Uh, So... I would say about a couple months ago, I was just sitting and um, just looking back on all the experiences I've had and just realized how truly blessed I've been in um, the situation with COVID, actually. And even in COVID, how I've been in Australia, hey, I could have been in the States, I could have been in Bermuda, where things were a little bit worse. And just really thanking God for it as well. And... um yeah, I would just say it's been a continuous journey for them, just to get to know them day by day.
0: Cameron, you mentioned that um, you know, as a young person growing up, and I think you probably went through an experience that most young people go through when they grow up in a Christian home, of mm-hmm. you know, feeling a little bit immune to it simply because you've never known anything else. Yeah, do you do you think that your parents recognised this experience in you? Did, do you think they recognized that this is where you were at?
2: I think they did recognize it. Um, but understanding how to navigate it might have been a little bit difficult for them. Um, my father didn't grow up to Ventus; He became Aventus in his teens. His mother came to Christ at that time, like when she was a little bit older, when he was around his teenage years. And he eventually came. And my mother, she... Kind of was raised Adventist, but her mother left the church and her and her twin sister eventually just started going back to the Adventist church around the same time, around their teens. Um, So for them, they weren't really, they didn't know how to navigate it with me, but they definitely did recognize what I was going through. But like I said, just understanding how to navigate it. Because it wasn't something they had experienced themselves was definitely a little bit difficult.
0: Mm. Now, what was behind the decision to go to Heritage Academy in Tennessee where you, were your were your, were your parents moving to Tennessee or um, what was what was behind that?
2: Well, as I said before, Bermuda's is just a very small country, and my parents just want the best experience for me. Um, I wanted always wanted to go overseas for school. I just saw it as a land of more opportunity anywhere else besides Bermuda. And I wanted to experience and see the world as well. So that was a, a large leading factor behind it. Why we chose heritage was definitely because of the spiritual influence that it would have. Um, my parents felt that a lot of their values and morals that they held aligned with heritage as well values value as a school. So that was, that was part of the decision that made the factor as well
0: yeah that's and that's that that is important i guess you know for those of us who live in other parts of the world the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence and we look at a tropical paradise like bermuda and go well who would ever want to leave a place like that but i do understand you know it is a small island and i think this is an important thing for all parents to consider that travel in and of itself and living amongst another culture for an extended period of time in another country is just a great Education in and of itself that you can't get any other way other than by getting out and doing it. So, congratulations for you know getting out and doing it, and um, you know, and praise God for the effect that you know that it's had on your life. Now, you've obviously graduated and moved on from there. I do have to ask this one question before uh, I move on Who was your favorite teacher at Heritage? um he's thinking hard he's thinking hard i
2: definitely uh, definitely miss angela (laughs) (laughs) oh he got the right answer right there uh well done cameron um
0: i I think angela wants to uh to jump in and say something right here
1: you want you want to expound on that more you know why was this person your (laughs) favorite teacher i'm just kidding Um, i'm just
2: kidding (laughs) i mean i can
0: (laughs) no, good times. Hey, have you got any Have you got any great stories you can tell us about Angela when she was a teacher?
2: Oh, there's a couple.
0: <laughs> there's a couple. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure whether we should tell these right on not. Angela's looking very nervous right now. I'm not sure, what, sure whether she um, should
2: go there. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Hey, uh, you're living in Australia now. How did that happen?
2: Well, after I graduated from heritage i definitely talked to, with my parents and just part of getting the whole world experience becoming more of a global citizen we decided that it would definitely be best for me to just go to school to university somewhere else in the world so just have a different experience you know, I already got the united states and that culture um so we explored places in europe we looked at the Philippines, other places, but I just decided that I really wanted to go to Australia. I mean, you guys have kangaroo in your back, kangaroos in your backyard, right? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we all do. It's amazing. <laughs> so I definitely wanted to come to Australia and just experience the culture here, um, explore the country as well, see how it was like. And that's why I came here, yeah.
0: And how long have you been here?
2: I've been here since end of February.
0: Okay, so you've arrived in Australia just pretty much in time to go into COVID lockdown.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> now, I understand that you had a rather unique experience there um, because you're studying at Avondale College University, which is um, yes. not far from us here in the Newcastle area. That's the Lake Macquarie area. Um, yeah. And I understand that you had an interesting experience of being basically in lockdown in the dormitory by yourself. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about
2: that? <laughs> well, yes. So when things started to get a little bit hectic over here, um, it was just kind of it was it was a lot of a series of events that just happened back to back. We got notified one day that break would happen a lot earlier than expected because of everything that was happening to COVID. Um, they had said at first that students would be allowed to stay in the dorms. And they got to it back to us about a couple of days later and rules had changed. And so they had to send everybody home. But international students and other students who couldn't uh, leave at the time were allowed to stay. So I was in the dorm with maybe three other people, around three other people. And it was definitely an interesting and lonely experience at first. But um, as we got more comfortable with each other, just interact a little bit more. Not only that, but Avenuendale does have other student accommodations on campus and there were other students that stayed. And so just I got to intermingle with them, you know, different groups at a time, uh, small groups. And we it was eventually, you know, I know we we're in lockdown, but I was definitely very blessed because I still had people around that I could interact with more than other students that they had went home. Um, so that was, it was an interesting and different experience. But once again, I just felt God's blessing through that as well.
0: Is there any particular advantages to having an entire dorm all to yourself?
2: Well, you can sing at the top of your lungs in the shower and nobody's going to be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, that, um, I can't really think of any, no. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Now, um, you're studying here in Australia. What, what What is it that you're studying?
2: I'm studying business.
0: Studying business. Well done. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Cameron, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Um, we've really Thank enjoyed you, you sharing your uh, testimony. And may God bless you in your studies and in your walk with him. Um, who knows what the future holds? We certainly live in uncertain times right now, but we pray that God will uh, use you to do amazing things for him in the future. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
1: Now we have question of the day. Question of the day. Alright, part two. I am excited for this because I was personally not satisfied with part one. I was still left with questions and I actually was talking to, um, with it with my roommates last night and I was like, I want to know how he's going to answer this.
0: Okay, so yesterday I think we got confused over all of the different Marys.
1: <laughs> yeah, slightly. <laughs> so you have
0: Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, and Mary the wife of Cleopas. okay. So let's, let's, just, let's just begin by defining them all into terms that are easy to understand. The Bible, after the birth of Jesus, only ever uses the term the mother of Jesus. It never calls her Mary from okay. that point forward. She's only ever called the mother of Jesus. So now you've only got three to deal with, Mary of Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, and Mary the wife of Cleopas. We're not going to talk about Mary the wife of Cleopas. So now we've got... Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany. So to make it easy, we're going to call them Bethany and Magdalene. How does that sound? That
1: is, there you go. That's brilliant. Thinking like a teacher now. Just
0: just (laughs) ditch the word Mary and go with Magdalene and Bethany.
1: That's brilliant.
0: Okay, so we know that both of them were great sinners. So a a quick review of yesterday, we're asking, we're looking at this intriguing question, could they have been the same person? Mm. And the reason that we're looking at this, this has been the tradition, the recorded tradition within the, within the Christian church, I should say, since 155 AD. So that's going back a very, very, very long way. This very, very early tradition that these were one and the same person. But why, and why would you obscure the relationship between the two uh, as we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we don't find so much obscurity when we come to the Gospel of John. So there's a bunch of uh, similarities between the two, and indications that um, they are one and the same person. Both of them are known for being great sinners. Bethany was uh, most likely a prostitute, and Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Both of them were wealthy, um, and um, and both of them supported Jesus financially. Luke describes them back to back in his gospel. So he talks about Bethany first and the next breath he just starts talking about Magdalene. The question is, why would you do it that way? And why would you identify one and not the other? Then when Cleopas's wife is mentioned, she is called the other Mary. There's only one other Mary. There's not other Marys, which there would be if Magdalene and Bethany were two different people. Uh, both of them anoint Jesus for his burial. So they're both interested in the anointing process, of course, Bethany beforehand and Magdalene after. And so you start to get these um, similarities coming through between the two. Now, what's interesting is that with Bethany's anointing of Jesus, Jesus declares that what she has done will be a memorial for her throughout all generations. In other words... Your particular person, your your particular deed, and your identity is important to the story because your testimony is going to be a powerful testimony that will be shared down through the ages. If you combine both stories together, you've got a sexually damaged person who knew Jesus' ability to heal sin and to meet emotional needs. You've got a victim of demon possession who felt Jesus' power over the spirit world. You've got a close friend of Jesus who, who sat at his feet and listened by the hour to his teachings. You've got an eyewitness to the resurrection of. Um, Lazarus. You've got a co-worker and financial supporter of Jesus throughout his uh, ministry. You've got a giver whose costly, uh, present and spontaneous tears express love and gratitude. You've got a listener who heard more clearly than most disciples that Jesus would die and that it that was to save human beings from sin. You've got an eyewitness to his death and a supporter when most other disciples deserted him. You've got one who came to anoint his body um, which would have been the second time. you got the first human to see Jesus after he was resurrected, um, even before his mother Mary. you got the first to tell others that he had triumphed over death. And you got the first preacher of the resurrection to be doubted and disbelieved. And so the big question is why the obscurity? So the first three Gospels obscure the, the, the identity of this particular person. And the answer to that is found in John chapter 12, verse 9 to 11, because here you have the story of the resurrection of Lazarus is coming after the after the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, where the Bible specifically says that they were after Lazarus to execute him. So here you've got a family who has a target on their back. They no longer have a target on their back by the time John writes his gospel, because most likely they've passed away. John was very, very old when he writes his gospel. The danger is no longer there, and so he is—he feels much more freedom in identifying who the various um, individuals in the story are. And so this could—the the anonymity would be there for security reasons. Um, And Mary's anointing was understood as acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. And that could be read as subversive and politically rebellious. So when she does that, when she anoints Jesus, you know, with a year's worth of wages of of, of, um, sin. And so when you put the whole story together, there's very good reason for obscuring the names of these individuals and using the professional name Magdalene in some passages, particularly those passages that are descriptions of the grace that was brought to her, and her actual home name in other passages where her name is Bethany. So an intriguing story with an intriguing question. We've probably spent a little bit too much time. We we probably needed to do a Bible study on this one. (laughs) Now that I'm sitting back and looking at it, it's like we should have just done a whole Bible study on this particular subject because I don't have time to make it clear in the space that we have.